Good morning. It's my pleasure to introduce to you um, some missionaries that we support. They uh, are currently uh, on the field or work in the nation of India. They're with World Ministries, and uh, Bud and uh, Nancy Peterson also, in addition to being uh, missionaries that we support for many, many, many years, actually Bud was our former pastor here at Grace Bible Church. So many of you know him as Pastor Bud, and uh, many of you may not. Um, so without further ado, Bud, come on up and uh, uh, break the bread for us. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Trey. The better and more beautiful half, if you haven't met her, is Nancy right here. And uh, she certainly has been that to me and a great partner in ministry. So we're just thankful to be able to be back in this community. We've got a lot of a root system, actually, that goes back here to Cessna because um, soon after we were married, the Lord let us come down from northern Illinois. We were up in the uh, suburban Chicago community of Rolling Meadows. And we'd both grown up near that location in uh, Barrington and Palatine. So coming to the culture of East Central Illinois was our first cross-cultural experience (laughs) in a major way. And it was a good experience. You all uh, were very gracious as a congregation, welcomed us. We soon learned that we definitely were the outsiders whether we were sitting in the, uh, the local restaurant and people were staring at us or uh, uh, other occasions, we realized we had a lot of groundwork to do to be able to get to know people in the community. And with time that occurred, and, and uh, our two girls were born when we were here in Cessna Park, so their root system comes back here. And actually, one of the significant things is that while we were here, God slowly but clearly worked on us and um, led us to consider going, and we didn't know where we were going, but going outside this country to another land and another people. That was a very hard decision to consider. I think that's why it took me five years <laughs> with Nancy to process it. We finally wrote out everything we felt that God was saying to us from his word, from distinct things um, that had impressed us, many of them which had come from... Uh, uh, missionaries or mission uh, speakers here at Grace Bible, and then our own desires. Even though we loved it here and we thank God for the opportunity uh, to serve here, it was as if we were being tugged or pulled. And uh, my major objection, my major problem, was I knew I did not have a natural capacity to learn a new language. Now, how did I know that? Because I took two years of German in high school. And by the end of the second year, I knew I would never, never study a language again. Uh, The first year went well. I could memorize everything, got it all down. The second year, this teacher had us in all kinds of grammar. We had to give a speech uh, in the four-day exam at the end of that second semester in the second year. And it was just horrendous to try to get a hold of that language, listen to him speak, answer questions on exams, and you only had these two high school years. But I knew I'd never take a language again. As one of our daughters learned from a a childhood animated film, never say never. You've heard that one. God had another plan. And uh, that plan uh, actually led going to Dallas Seminary when you've had pastors, your present pastor and his wife have gone there. And I actually had to take four years of Greek and two years of Hebrew. That was like moving a mountain. But we didn't have to speak them. So it was just translating. 
then the Lord put this challenge before us and, and uh, we finally realized either we step ahead and investigate if this really is his leading to go overseas and if it is, we're going to do it or we have to just be unwilling to take the risk and to trust him. Now, the risk for me uh, was at the age of 38 trying to learn a new language. And Nancy, she's got natural linguistic ability. She majored in French in college, so she wasn't too worried about that. I knew I could fail. In fact, the linguistic test we did with the mission team indicated I was way on the low end of natural linguistic ability. I confirmed it, but I already knew it. Nevertheless, the Lord had given us enough leading here to say, look, I want you to trust me and step ahead. And uh, that, that means that the roots for that call go right back here to this congregation and how God worked. Now, you know, some of you know the rest of the story. God did lead us, not without difficulties. Um, but we were able to uh, tr- take the step. The church here said, we'll, we'll let you uh, go out and, and uh, try to contact others so they can know about this, see how God provides the support. The first barrier was we were in a recession, 19% interest rates. Anybody remember that? Ronald Reagan had come into office, and things were looking really bad. That's not the time you step out and try to raise missionary support, because everything's tight. Everybody's tight. But God took us to that step. Then the second step, month of August, we're all packed. Uh, we're ready to go. We've got our plane tickets to go to France. We're God, we thought God was leading us. And our second daughter at four months of age is diagnosed with a terminal illness. Whew. What do you do then? We didn't even know what the name meant, cystic fibrosis. But we learned fast down in Champaign-Urbana. And we learned it was extremely serious. And that if we didn't have insurance cover- coverage, we would literally be in debt the rest of our lives just trying to keep her alive. Well, God took us through that and uh, allowed us to actually nine months later go with the approval of the mission and uh, with a medical doctor that was a specialist in Paris, France, that could care for her. Phenomenal man. We still pray for him. He's about 80 what, Nance? 87. Um, he, he gave us care that was unmatchable even here in the States. Would even come to our apartment if we needed him. Um, so God provides. When God guides, he provides. And we, and we learn that. Now the language, whew, that was probably harder than the financial barrier or the health barrier. It took me about five years to get a hold of enough of that language that I could actually preach freely and do what I knew God was leading to do. Plant churches, and that's what we felt he led us into. Now, I had to learn from Nancy as well. We had name tags on furniture all over the apartment, so I could get these French pronunciations down, right? But I had to learn it to speak it for myself. And at the age of 38 to 40, that was not a mountain moving. That was a range of mountains moving. (laughs) But God was faithful. And he allowed that ability to develop and that fluency step by step, slowly, slowly. It was very humiliating. I can remember after one year, and I'm going through all this language training at the, at the university, writing in every day, going through all that, writing back at night. I had about four hours of study every night. And here's our little daughter, Michelle, who at that time was four years old. She's speaking away in French. Oh, she'd throw an English word in every once in a while. But I mean, like a French girl. 
And I'm thinking, man, I've got these words, I've got the grammar, I, and I can't speak it like that. I was like, I had to become like a little child, and people would correct you. Over here, if people come from another country, they speak with an accent. We, we accept that. We don't correct everything they say. Over there, this is our language, <laughs> and we're proud of our heritage. And even in a sermon sometimes, missionaries, they'll be corrected. So it, it, it humbles you. And I thought, oh, Lord, if I can ever get this thing down and then see you break through hard hearts, that's even going to be the fourth area of miracles. Well, you prayed for us, God led, and through many, many challenges, many, many trials, and certainly in our human weakness, God was faithful even when we were faithless. So thank you. These are deep roots, and we thank God for um, Cisna Park, for this church, the area, because uh, we really started our family here. And then we sensed the call of God to go overseas. Now, that was just a few years ago. Jay Zabinden reminded me he could remember back to a summer camp when he became a Christian. Jay, did you say it was 31 years ago? Yeah. 31. How could that time have gone by, Jay? Just like that. But God's goodness, his kindness is never ending. I love that passage um, out of uh, Lamentations chapter 3. The Lord's mercies, they never cease. His compassion is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Isn't that great? I mean, what could match the faithfulness of God? Showing his loving kindness, loyal, faithful love to us when we least deserve it. But that's what God shows. That's what he demonstrates. Well, I just wanted to express that uh, thanksgiving and uh, fond memories on Nancy's part and mine, um, we certainly cannot forget, and we don't forget. But God has moved you on, and he's moved us on in different places and different ways, all for his purposes, because he's got a great, great purpose to accomplish, not just in us. Certainly he wants to conform us to the image of his Son, and that's the ultimate goal in our Christian lives. Once we come to Christ, we're in a change process. And it won't be ended until we meet him face to face, either with his return or our being caught up to be with him and being caught up to be with him or our passing away physically on this earth and getting the chance to meet him face to face. Up to that point, it's always change. It's always transition to become more like him. But that's an adventure. And it's a rewarding adventure. There will be many rewards along the way that we will see in eternity. But this side of heaven, we're in a battle. We're in a struggle. We're in a journey to walk with Jesus and to follow in his steps. Where that has taken us is to France uh, over a 12-year span. We were back here in a couple home assignments. And then to a ministry called Training Network International that was started by the Evangelical Free Church of America where we train leaders and pastors and their teams of leaders from churches across North America. That opened up in India for the first overseas work. And then God allowed about ten years ago, actually nine years uh, to be more specific, nine and a half, to transition into a ministry called World Ministries. And they gave us something we'd never had before, a total freedom to start from scratch with leaders in the nation of Israel, of India, not Israel, I'd like to get there though with this training, and to work with these leaders that had no access to any training. 
They couldn't go to Bible school or seminary or Christian colleges. They were in poverty, but they had a passion to reach their people. So working with them, we were able to develop a process just lifting it right out of Jesus' ministry and what the early church did and help them catch a vision to do what Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. And India is an unusual place because it has more unreached people groups, what the Bible calls nations, ethnic linguistic groups of people that have their own language, their own distinct culture. They have more of them there than any nation on earth. So they can reach into these nations if they can be trained. And that's what we've been trying to focus on. You've been praying for us. And specifically, that's where our whole attention has been drawn in these recent years. It was kind of like going up on a new learning curve. Now, Pastor Trey and his wife had a professor that I majored under uh, as well. And uh, he imparted some things to us way back when that really stayed down in my mind somewhere. And when we faced this challenge, uh, we went back to some of those ideas of how to make and multiply disciples. In fact, I went back to him about 10 years ago, and I said, Prof, uh, we were sitting over a breakfast. I don't think I ever had breakfast with him when I was at Dallas. (laughs) His appointments were so scheduled at 15-minute intervals. uh, That wasn't part of the picture. But anyway, we met, and I told him what we felt God was leading us to do, to just start from the Scriptures, lift this up, see how Jesus made and multiplied his disciples, and see how it could be done through planting, reproducing churches with these leaders. Asked them to look at what we were going to do and tell me if we were just a little bit off the wall or if someone had already invented the wheel and we were trying to reinvent it, that type of thing. Howard Hendricks was his name. and He had been teaching there over 50 years. You know, he's the one that trained Chuck Swindoll and Joe Stoll and many, many leaders across our country and the world. And I said, Prof, be honest with me. I don't want to waste the remaining part of my life here doing something that's already been done. And he said, Bud, this has, has, we have not done this yet. We can do it. He said, I think you, you need to go for it. This can go to the world. Well, that was just a little conversation, but it made a huge difference to me internally. I thought, okay, what we've been thinking, what we've been praying, what we've been wanting to risk isn't too bizarre. It's crazy, but it's not too bizarre. So we're going to spend the rest of our life training and raising up church planting leaders. And that's what we're in the middle of, by the grace of God, just by his grace. Now this morning, I'd like us to take a moment and look at a passage of scripture that I believe can change every life here. I believe it can change every church, this church, churches across our nation and the world. I believe this passage, this prayer, can actually change our world. It's only seven verses long, this small passage. You've already heard it read. But let's take a moment and pray, and I'll ask God to help us understand what he is saying through these verses. Father, we we thank you for the worship this morning. Just great, great words and uh, leading to help us enter in to praising your name, thanking you for your Son, and honoring him and bowing low before him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We pray now that you would open our hearts and open our eyes to things here in your word that will also 
build and strengthen our faith. We pray that you'd help us see not only the truth, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word, but you'd also help us see your work, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you want to do, so that our faith can grow as we experience and serve you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are all familiar with the concept of ambassadors. Our country has ambassadors all over the world. And usually they have embassies in the other countries to represent our country. The ambassador leading the staff to present who we are and what we are wanting to do. Nations all over the world have these ambassadors. They're delegates. They carry the authority of their land. They don't go in their own authority. They carry the authority of their land, the message of their governments to the places where they're assigned. And whether for better or for worse, that's what they represent and that's what they bring. They're on a mission. So the concept of a mission, whether it be in a political sense, a diplomatic sense, or a military mission, or a business mission, these are things we're familiar with. Our country has been engaged. We're engaged right now in diplomacy in North Africa, in the Middle East, in military missions in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, in business missions across the developing nations especially. India is one of those, one of the fastest growing economies in the world, but a country who has a huge portion of its population in abject poverty. Now, in a parallel sense, God has a mission for us. And it's not a business mission necessarily, or a diplomatic mission, or a sports mission. It's a mission to represent Him and His kingdom. And the mission is represented by ambassadors that don't go in their authority, they go in His authority, representing His kingdom. Who are the ambassadors that represent God's kingdom? Who are they? Well, I heard that prayer over here this morning. <laughs> and if you were listening in like I was, that prayer identified that we are the ambassadors. We are his representatives. When we train these leaders in India, I use a quote from here in the States of a coach. And I don't tell them what the sport is, but I, I tell them this is coming from a coach and the sport is similar to their national sport, which is cricket. They got that from the British. But they're world competitors in cricket. And their players, there's 11 on each team that field. Uh, they go out as, on the field as a team. They play for hours and hours in the blazing hot sun. It's a tough game. and In some ways, it's parallel to our baseball. Well, when we train the leaders, I quote this coach. Some of you might remember him way back. He was at the University of Oklahoma. His name was Bud Wilkinson. And he was an unusual coach, had an incredible winning record. And he also had a master's in English, so he was quite articulate. I don't know any other coach football that has that. But a reporter said, uh, Coach, his name was Bud Wilkinson, how would you describe the game of football? And he said, well, the best way I know how to describe it is you've got 22 players down on a field, desperately in need of rest. And thousands of spectators up in the stands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> Isn't that good? So I asked them, I said, now, let me ask you, here in India, the, the small church, the little tiny minority, 
Is it that way in your churches? Do you have just a few people that are on the playing field? They're really working hard, but they're desperately in need of rest. And most everybody else just watches them play. They're spectators. Oh, yeah, that's the way it is here, they say. Sure is. I said, well, what would change that? And they think for a while, we do a lot of interaction in our teaching. Uh, It's trying to do much more like Jesus, not lecture, but interaction with the scriptures. Well, basically, as we reason through that, we go back to the New Testament and we realize God calls every person, Jesus calls every person to come to him. And when we come in repentance and faith, we are responding to that call. We are called not just to receive a great salvation, a great deliverance with forgiveness for our sins, but we are also called by him to serve him. Every believer, not just a few. Somehow in church history, in nearly 2,000 years, we've bought into an idea that there's a separation, and there's the clergy up here and the rest of the people down here. And these people we call clergy, they're they're pastors and uh, Christian teachers and missionaries. They're sort of like in a different class, somewhere up here in the top of the pyramid. And then then down below are the average people, and they they can give to the church, and they can come to church, but they're really not too much good for uh, representing God. How did we ever buy into that separation? Because when we go back to the New Testament, we see everybody is called, not just to come, but to go and to serve. So I say to these leaders, I said, what if you start teaching this radical truth? We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. The leadership gifts are given to equip the other people in the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. It doesn't say the leaders do the work. It says the body, the believers, every member who has come to Christ and put his faith in him as part of the body. They're called to serve, but the leaders are called to equip. They do the ministry, but their primary role is equipping. I said, what if you start doing this here? Well, what happens if people start coming up and say, well, we want to serve. How are you going to equip us? What are we going to do here? What will you do? Well, they think and we discuss it and someone usually comes up and says, well, I, we, we, if we get enough of them, we'll group them together. Okay, great. If you get them in groups, what are you going to do with them? Well, we have to coach them. We have to train them. All right, great. Who's going to, who's going to do all that coaching if you start multiplying the people? Oh, we'll have to train people so they'll become player coaches with us. I said, okay, great. If you do that and most of the church ends up on the playing field, what's going to happen in the game? Ah, some more thinking. Sooner or later, someone comes up, well, we're going to win more victories. I said, right. That's the way God designed it to work. So the great commission of Christ to make disciples in every nation will happen. When Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And where did he say they'd be his witnesses? This is to his, his disciples. Where would they start? Acts 1.8, who can tell me? I think I heard someone say Jerusalem. That's right. And then the surrounding area would be like Iroquois County here, Judea. And then Samaria, which actually was a different group of people, distinctive, but yet very close within reach in Samaria. And then to the farthest places on earth. 
where people live. He says, that's where I'm going to have you go. Who? Well, just missionaries, just pastors. No, the whole church is mobilized. That's radical, isn't it? That's revolutionary. We need two reformations in the church today. One has definitely started. We date it back to Martin Luther and reformers like that when they decided we have to take the Word of God and we're going to take the Word of God and put it back, back right into the hands of God's people. By the way, Steve, I still hear the same thing from Steve when I come here. How you doing? He is a great greeter, isn't he? He's serving his purpose. So put the Word of God back into the hands of God's people. Now, that's important. Steve, I'm going to take it now. Thank you. <laughs> but more, just as important is we have to do a second thing. We have to take the work of God and put the work of God back into the hands of God's people. That's radical, isn't it? That's a different role for our gifted leaders. But it's God's role. That's what made the first century church take off. Now, someone has said about us that are quote, called into the ministry, maybe as pastors or missionaries, they said, you know, you're paid to be good. Of course, missionaries have to raise their own support. But you're paid to be good, but we're good for nothing. We have to be good for nothing. Do you ever feel like that? God doesn't look at it that way. God looks at us all on the same playing field, all called because we can go to different people, different places. We just have to see how that can be done. Well, I want you to look with me. It's Psalm 67. This is an amazing psalm. And this is a prayer that will literally change the world. But it's the most unusual place for a prayer. It's way back in the Old Testament. And it was given to the people of Israel, the people of God, that were supposed to be his light to all the nations. Now, they accomplished part of their mission. They did receive his words. They received the covenants, the promises of God. Most of the Bible out of the 66 books was entrusted to them. And they did a wonderful job receiving it and preserving it. They also gave us, they gave the world God's great blessing. The Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised one who would come to forgive sin and to deliver us from the sin. The Savior, the Lord, the Sovereign. They accomplished that mission by God's sovereign grace. But they failed in another part of the mission that God gave to them. They became ingrown. They became the chosen. And in some ways, as some have said, they became the frozen chosen. They expected people to come to them. And they began to view themselves with great pride as being superior above the pagans, the Gentiles, who most of us would be. So they had a superiority complex, a prejudice, a pride, and they became very possessive of that, very focused on possessing other things, like status and resources. Unfortunately, they never fulfilled the mission God had fully intended them to fulfill. So let's look at this psalm because we're going to see something different in this psalm that even would be shocking to many Hebrew people. I found it fascinating because I'd never really studied, I'd never heard it preached on, but I believe this is a prayer not just for Israel. 
I believe this is a prayer that we, as the people of God today, as a church, can and we really should be praying. Now we're going to start out in an unusual way. The first verse that we're going to look at is right in the center of this passage. This is a picture of our world that needs needs God desperately. Not gods, not idols, but the true and living God. So this first verse, verse 4 in Psalm 67, says, Let the nations be glad. It starts talking about all these different people groups across the world. Let the nations be glad. Sing for joy. Why? It gives a reason. For you will judge. You, God, will judge the peoples with uprightness. God's going to do it fair with equity and true justice. And you're going to guide the nations on the earth. God isn't simply going to judge, but he's going to guide like a shepherd. Now, in the structure of the Hebrew poetry here, and this was a poem and put to music, that's the heart of it, a plea for the people in view of God's future judgment and leading and rule. It's kind of unusual, isn't it? I view it as a plea, but surrounding this plea is clearly a prayer. So in verses 5 and 6, you'll notice if you've got your Bible or can look at one on the pew, the same verse is actually repeated. In verse 3 it says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples, not just a few people groups, not just the Jewish people, let all of the people praise you. Repeated in verse 5. And it's almost like it's surrounded. You've got the core truth, and it's surrounded by this prayer for the nations. Did you realize that Israeli people were supposed to be praying for all of these other people? They considered unclean, and they were. Read Romans 1. I mean, the Greeks and the Romans were into all kinds of perversion, sexually, socially, corruption. And you go back in history, and that's what you find at places like Pompeii, the city that was buried in 70 A.D. by volcanic ash, and they've been able to dig it out. And well, There's a lot of corruption in that city. It's a portrait of people gone farther and farther to God into more and more idolatry. But this is a prayer for all of those people. Now, let's go up to the start of the psalm, verses 1 and 2. This gives us a real secret into why the psalm writer is praying this way. And the first verse is a wonderful blessing. Be gracious. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Now, we've all heard people pray for blessings. In fact, we've sung here in America, God bless America, right? That's a familiar song. Or in one of our, our uh, special patriotic hymns, God has blessed America from sea to shining sea. What does it mean to bless anybody if God does choose to bless them? Well, certainly he can bless them with material things, opportunities, assets. But we're looking at more than that here. If God even chooses to give those things, and he's given many of those to us as a nation, he's got a purpose in mind. I like the way he says, though, God, be gracious to us, bless us, and cause your face to shine upon you. Shine upon us. If you really want to please somebody, it might be a teacher, it might be an employer, or it might be a parent, and you're working hard to 
to try to sense what they desire, what they want, and to achieve that. One of the greatest rewards is when you see a smile on their face. You know they're happy with what you're doing. And that's a blessing in itself. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Let your face shine upon us, Lord. Be happy with us. Let our life be filled with your goodness, spiritually and in every other way, but specifically spiritually, with forgiveness of sin, with power to live a new life, with purpose to live for, with peace in our hearts. Those are the kind of things that everybody's longing for, but you just can't find them. I couldn't find them on a university campus, no matter how many parties I went to in my fraternity. I felt the same, or sometimes a little worse the next day, depending on what we did at the party. And I wonder, does anybody else feel like this? This isn't satisfying. This isn't fulfilling. Where could I find an answer? Now, I didn't say that to anybody, but inwardly I thought it. When someone finally presented the words of Christ to me, I had to stop and think. I didn't let them know that. I was very critical, skeptical. I'd learned enough about Christians that I could know all kinds of things about hypocrisy growing up. But this person just explained about Jesus. Explained who he was, what he did. And he came to bring life, eternal life for sure, but life that would produce abundant life. And I said, what doesn't define abundant life? What's that? And so he went to some other passages and he explained, look, this isn't a life without problems. Everybody's got problems. But it's a life with purpose and peace and pardon for sin. And I thought, wow, if that's true, that's what I'd like to have. Someone was able to explain that. And I was able to test those truth claims. Finally make a decision. Finally. And that's what this psalm is talking about. Look at verse 2. Because verse 2 goes from the prayer of the nations. We'll have to jump to that next slide. Thanks. Prayer for the blessings of God. And then just below that is the purpose of that prayer. In verse 2. And that purpose, this is absolutely, radically alarming. The purpose is that your way, God might be known on all the earth that your salvation, your deliverance among all nations. So, if we ask for God's blessing, and certainly it's not wrong to pray for ourselves, for our families, for our nation, for the world, but let's pray it in a way that God desires it. The result and an intention behind our prayer should be that God's way His deliverance, His forgiveness, salvation, as the Bible calls it, in Christ, could be known to all people. Now, do you know in this little psalm, only seven verses, it mentions nearly ten times, actually, to be specific, ten times, either nations, peoples, or the ends of the earth. You can see what is gone God's heart. But the way that He designed this to work was to start with His people. Not so they could hoard it to themselves and say, look how I'm blessed and I'm privileged and I'm chosen. But to be humbled and say, I don't deserve this. I'd be the last person to deserve his blessing. But God has given it to us in Christ. And I'm praying that he'll continue to bless so that more and more people can hear it and I can share it with them. Now look at the end of the psalm. The last two verses kind of bring back what the first two verses did. 
And at the end, it brings us into agriculture, which we're seeing all around us here in Cisna Park in East Central Illinois. Let the, the earth has yielded its produce. Now this morning, Gary Dodd told me, it's producing well, but we need rain. <laughs> we need rain re- very badly right now. Well, the psalmist recognized this blessing is from God as well. The earth yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. It's all tied to his blessing. God blesses us, and look at the last statement. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. That's the goal. That everybody and every people group could bring to him praise. They would actually fear him. And that word in Hebrew is an interesting word. It has an essence of literal fear, but also of reverence and respect. Someone that you would stand before in awe. Someone that you would bow down to. And the only person worthy of that is our Creator God Himself. So that's the goal of His blessing. That's the goal of the prayer. So every person on earth can absorb this. They can experience it. Did you know that's exactly what your purpose is as well? Look with me at Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter 2. Peter, a Hebrew man himself, the big fisherman, quotes out of Old Testament passages where God speaks about the nation of Israel. And he takes those terms, those descriptions, and in verse 9, he applies it to the believers in Christ. In this case, they were Hebrew believers, but they're just like us. They've come to faith in Christ. They've been adopted into the family of God. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 2, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now that's a privileged position, isn't it? You're a, a chosen race. That's true for us as believers in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. You're a holy, a set-apart nation. Your citizenship is up there in heaven. You are, well, one of the old translations was a peculiar people. You might not want to be called peculiar, but we are distinct. God's own possession. Now, what's the purpose? That's what he explains in verse 9. So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. We've got an identity and a mission that goes with that identity. We are delegated. We are actually a delegation and individual ambassadors to represent him. And Israel did not fulfill that complete purpose. They were set aside to be brought back into the mainstream of God's plan. We see that in the Scriptures. Those promises will not be nullified. But God has brought Jew and Gentile together in the church, and at this time, we have the privilege of being His light to the nations. So, if we pray this prayer, what's going to happen? Well, strange things in some cases, natural and supernatural things can happen. If we don't do what they did, we learn from them, we won't take pride in this and think that we deserve this. Our ancestors came here, they did this, God has blessed America. We won't think like that. We'll just think, wow, (laughs) 
I'm a beggar like anybody else, but I found the bread in Jesus. And I want to share that bread with other people. We're not going to be prideful. We're not going to be prejudiced. We're not going to hoard possessions uh, and think that we got those for our purposes. We're going to see everything that God does in giving blessings are from his hand for his purposes. And we're going to pray for his blessing. I'd encourage you and challenge you as a church to begin to pray this prayer. Not in a ritualistic way, but in a purposeful, meaning way. Every day, every week, God bless us so that we can be a blessing. So that your salvation through your people here and everywhere else will be brought to every nation on the earth. Do you think God will answer that prayer? How will he answer that prayer? Well, he's already answering it in and through churches, in and through individual believers. But I believe we haven't even begun to tap the reservoir of what he wants to do. We haven't begun to see what God wants to do to sweep in a harvest of people all across this globe. Why do I say that? Because that's what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save people that were lost like sheep. And that's what we all are apart from coming to him. So God is going to begin to do things above and beyond all we can ask or think. You say, well, bud, you know, you don't understand. I'm not, I haven't been trained. I, I mean, what do I know? Who, can, who am I? Well, that's exactly what Moses said. Who am I, Lord? And the Lord answered him and said, it's not who you are, Moses, it's who I am. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to prepare you. In fact, I've already prepared you. Wow, if that's true, then we're going to mobilize. We're going to begin to see things happen. Now, that might mean many more churches planted in Iroquois County. It might mean churches planted in very resistant areas in Illinois, in our country. But I know it will definitely mean we're going to be going to groups of people by our prayers and with others into every inaccessible place in the world where people God wants to reach is going to allow that to happen. That is what is happening today is if we have eyes to see. I still remember one of the missionary couples you support here, Harold and Connie Davis. You still support them, right? And I remember her singing a song, no accompaniment, Let me see, dear Lord, as this world, as though I were looking through your eyes, And if once I can see the way you see, I just know then I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to have desire. I'm going to have your designs to help do something about this. It's a wonderful song. Well, that's what this is. It's a song, Psalm 67, to help focus our attention. Well, you say, okay, bud, who's going to help us? Who's going to equip us? Well, you've got a great pastor here that I'm sure wants to do that. (laughs) Trey, if people came to you today that have never come and said, Trey, Pastor Trey, could you do that with us? Could you help us learn how to share our faith more effectively and live it out right here? That you would absolutely say no, right? You'd say, I've got my work to do and I'm pretty busy. Of course he wouldn't. This is the work of the ministry to equip the saints to do it. Did you know that in the last few years you actually had a representative as a missionary in Iraq? 
Now, you know where your missionaries are and the countries they're working in, but did you know you had one in Iraq? Someone that grew right up here in Cisna Park gave his first sermon right here at Grace Bible. Who was that? A young man named Alan Spittler. Alan's a pastor in an evangelical free church in central Wisconsin. He was in the Navy. You remember you supported him in a ministry called Fisherman's Wharf up by the Great Lakes Naval Base. Well, some friends of him that are chaplains, he served in the reserve as a chaplain all through these years as well, told him, Alan, wow, we've got about one chaplain for every 1,800 soldiers. The need is incredible. These people are dying. Who's, who's going to help them? So Alan and Deb prayed, and they said, Lord, do you want us to do something? What can we do? we got a church here. We, you know, we can't go over. Alan, at about 50 years of age, I have to call and get his exact age, re-enlisted and went in this time as a chaplain and was over there for over a year with the troops in the line of fire. I read that letter. I thought, wow, here's someone that's willing to put his life on the line. Now, we all can't do that, but he could. Fortunately, he's back safe and sound. But I thought, there's an example. What would God have you do? What are you trusting God to do with your life this year that only God could do? Are you trusting him to do anything like that this year that only he can do? That's the challenge I think God puts before us. Now, he'll show that to you. He'll lead that to you. It might be down in the prison. Nance in our area was able to contact international students and ministry at the University of Wisconsin. And we're having those, those students come on over and stay with families in our church up in Illinois. And most of them are Chinese students. Some of them are very gifted scholars that are working on their doctorates. Just this uh, last, was it June, honey? We went over. One of the gals, she's got a degree as a medical physician, but she was working on a doctorate in family counseling from China, came to Christ. We'd gotten to know her and others. And she said, would you come over? I'm going to be baptized. (laughs) Wow, what a miracle. Do you realize you could have those students coming up here? And they just, they want to see American culture. Most students, they say, from other countries never are invited into an American home. So right here in Cisna, you could do it. You could do something in prison ministry. All I'm saying is you're doing many things, but who knows what God has ahead if we begin to pray this prayer. Who knows what he might bring into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives. The person that most influenced me was a working man. He only had an eighth grade education. He had to quit school because his father died. There were nine children in the family. He didn't have the best English. He would throw an ain't in there and things like that. But he loved young people. He was very current on things in the culture, political things, and very active in his community. But he had a genuine faith in Christ. And I saw it. He had three heart attacks and then a heart failure. The doctor said he'd never get out of the bed and go back to work. But he prayed and he said, Doctor, respectfully, I am going to get out of this bed and I'm going back to work. (laughs) And he did. I'm so thankful that he shared his faith with me. He was the only person that ever did that. And he asked me if I'd like to receive Christ. And I said, no. See, I wasn't ready at that point. But I never forgot his witness. And when finally someone at a university campus approached me 
um, and shared with me, I knew enough that I thought back to him. I thought he was genuine. I saw a lot of others that were hypocrites. He was the real deal. He had shoe leather faith. You might be that person to a neighbor, to a family member, to someone you've never even met. That's what God has called us to do. And that's what this prayer is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a blessing. We want your face to shine upon us. Uh, We want you to lead us. But we don't want to be selfish because we know that that would be a futile thing. Not God-centered. It would be like idolatry lived out. So whatever you choose to do, Lord, as we pray this prayer, we pray that we would receive and recognize it. There may be someone here today that has never, never made that step to turn from their sin to the Savior, Jesus. I pray that you touch them and grip them now so that they would be willing and able to make the step of faith and trust solely in Him alone for salvation. But we pray for the many things that we don't even know about, we never even imagined that you are going to do and that you want to do to bring people to yourself. Thank you that you've chosen very humble and unworthy people. Cracked pots or earthen vessels, as the scripture calls us, so that your glory and your the excellency of your power can shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen.